Well, hey, Rocky Peak, it's great to be with you again. My name is Michael, and I'm one of the pastors, and we haven't had a chance to meet yet. Uh, looking forward to doing that. When the time comes, we're back together again. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now, but I've got an important announcement before we do. Uh, first of all, I hope that you've already downloaded the message note sheet. You'll definitely need it today. If you haven't, maybe you want to do that now. But secondly, I just want to make you aware of a great opportunity that's coming. You know, one of the, things, the frustrating things about this season is we can't get together in our large group gatherings here on the weekend. But one of the things we've said from the very beginning of this whole crisis is that the church is not a building. It's not a place that we, the people of God, are the church of God. And so though we can't meet on weekends here in large group, uh, we can continue to love one another, connect with one another, and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And one of the things that God has been stirring in our, our heart this season is that as this thing extends, uh, we feel a tremendous need to just be more proactive, getting you connected and getting us connected with the community in a variety of new ways to serve. And so uh, if you remember, right before we uh, went into COVID, uh, we, we did this series called Serving Sacrificially, Discovering Your Purpose. And we talked about how God has chosen us before time and uniquely shaped us over the course of our life to carry out the specific assignments that he has for us. And, uh, and so this summer, we want to build on that. And so uh, this next month in August, we're going to be giving you kind of uh, three opportunities to serve. We're calling it Summer uh, Serving Sacrificially Summer Initiatives. And they're going to come up on the screen uh, just coming up in a couple weeks. And so if you look on your screen there, uh, the first one, the first opportunity that we uh, have to serve is going to come on, come on uh, this, oh, this is actually the wrong slide. Okay, so we're going to go in reverse order here, okay? So we're going to back up. We're going to go from, uh, from the end of August forward. So the, the last opportunity is called a Zoe Work Project. So you may know this, but Zoe is an amazing international ministry that we have deep ties with here in L.A., and they rescue kids from sex trafficking. And they're opening up a new home to be operating uh, in the L.A. area. And so we've been very involved in that project. And, and so we're going to uh, be helping them get ready for a very important open house where some important VIPs uh, are coming in uh, to kind of see what they're doing and uh, invest and give them the authorization to do this. So on that morning on uh, the 22nd, we have room for about 80 people to go out there and clear brush, wash windows, and help them get ready. Now, there are some age restrictions on this. When you go online to our website, they'll tell you that. All of these activities I'm going to be announcing are outside. Uh, we're all going to be practicing uh, social distancing, and they all require, well, the, the uh, first two require some registration. So let's go ahead and go to the next slide here and see where we are. Okay, so this one is for August the 8th, right? So a lot of you know that Children's Hunger Fund is an amazing international organization we have deep ties with. And uh, here in LA, there are a lot of families that are struggling right now because of COVID. And so we want to help provide food for them. And so as a church, we're going to be donating up to $25,000 towards this project. But we need you to come out and sign up to help pack these food boxes. So Children's Hunger Fund will bring in the food. They'll bring in the boxes. We just need you to come out and help pack them. And then we're going to be donating them to help hundreds and hundreds of families uh, with food. And so again, on the website, it'll give you all the information about that. And then our last project is coming up the soonest. So we've kind of, we've got in reverse order here. So on August the 1st, uh, which is coming up uh, very soon, we're having a clothing drive. Now in this ministry, or this opportunity, we're partnering 
uh, with the San Fernando Rescue Mission. And they run a thrift store, uh, but that thrift store is really running low on clothes because of COVID. And so we're partnering with them to do a clothing drive. And so what we're gonna happen on, that, on this morning, Saturday morning, we'll have like an hour time where you can come drive, drive into our property, just drive off your sacks. We'll have people there, masks on, the whole thing to help get those uh, from you. And then we're gonna get those to them so we can help serve that ministry. So we're really excited about this. Three opportunities coming up. Again, all the details on the website for, uh, for the two, the one out at Zoe and the one uh, with, with Children's Hunger Fund. There is age restrictions on that. So we can't allow younger children on those because uh, of COVID. Um, but you can learn all about that. They do require registration. You can't just show up. And uh, so I want to make sure that we keep everyone safe. So anyway, we're very excited about that. Just wanted to make you aware of that as we we're really seeking the Lord. Okay, so what does it look like to be in this church the longer this, uh, to be your church, the longer this goes on? And we just believe the Lord's going to lead us. I think that right now it feels like we're a little bit like the nation of Israel still out in the wilderness circle you know, ready to go in the promised land. And we keep thinking, hey, that cloud's gonna move, that cloud's gonna move, and it's just a time we're waiting on him. But behind the scenes, we're working very hard, looking at tons of different ways that we can engage in service or small groups or some kind of smaller worship services here outside our campus. And so I just wanna keep you uh, up to date on that and encourage you to be praying for us as we are watching the cloud and saying, God, what do you have for us? So um, I'm just uh, excited to be with you today. I uh, just appreciate you tuning in. We're going to go into our time of teaching right now. And so inside, uh, well, hopefully you've already downloaded uh, the program, and then we're going we're gonna to jump in if you're ready to go. All right, so let's pray, and then I'm going to jump in. So Father, we're just so excited to be here. It is such a crazy season, and the longer it goes on, the harder it gets. And yet, God, we believe that you are God over COVID, you are God over this situation, and you're God over this church. God, and we're excited to see where you lead us and how you creatively call us to be your church in a new environment, in a new situation, at a new time. And so God, today as we continue this series on spiritual warfare, my prayer would be the prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1, that you would open the eyes of our heart, that our, that our eyes would be enlightened so we can see um, this incredible future you have planned and the power that's available for us as followers of Jesus who follow the risen, resurrected King who has triumphed over the powers of darkness. We praise in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Well, our story starts today late in the evening, and um, the sun's going down, and it's been a beautiful day. It's been one of those kind of beautiful summer days and now it's a warm evening, and they're sitting there watching the sun go down. And they're both old. Well, there was a time when they were young. In fact, that's when they met, and they, they got married when they were very young. But now they're old, and they know that neither one of them has a lot of time left. They're not sure exactly how long. But on nights like this, where the sun is setting, and it's just incredibly beautiful out, it's hard for their minds not to go back in time and not to reflect. I mean, they're so thankful for the life that they've shared, for all the experiences, the ups, the downs, the good times and the bad times, for the kids and the grandkids. But at times like this, it's hard for them not to reflect and to wonder what if. What if they'd made a different choice on that fateful day? Back at the time, they knew it was a risk. They knew they were taking a chance, but they did it together. 
They did it with full understanding of what they were doing. They really thought it was worth the risk, but looking back today, they know it was the worst decision they ever made. And so it's hard on nights like this not to wonder what would have happened if they'd made a different choice so long ago. Well, today we are continuing our series that we've been the last few weeks. It's called The Resurrected King, Spiritual Warfare and Times of Challenge. And uh, if you're new, I want to welcome you. It's just so good to have you, whether you're kind of coming from across the globe or whether you're here locally or somewhere in between. This is so good to have you. This whole series is a series, as the title suggests, on spiritual warfare. And one of the most important lessons that we've been learning is that for the follower of Jesus, at the moment we cross the line to to follow Jesus, that we step into a new level of spiritual warfare. That spiritual warfare for the follower of Jesus is not an occasional event. It's not just a sidebar experience. It really goes to the heart and soul of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And if you've been here in the series, like week after week, most weeks we've gone back to this key passage that'll guide us all the way through this series. At the end of Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul's letter to the Christ followers in and around the area of Ephesus. In the final chapter of that letter in Ephesians 6, Paul says that his followers of Jesus were in a battle. We're in a war. We have some very real enemies. They're smart. They're strategic. They're powerful. And they're out to destroy us. He says, but the good news is that we as followers of Jesus were rooted in the resurrected king. We have access to his power, the power that's conquered the powers of darkness. And then if we will tap into him and put on the full armor of God, that we'll be able to stand and to win this battle. And so after Paul says that, he goes on to highlight seven key pieces of equipment, armor, weapons, that we need to put on, pick up, strap on if we're gonna win this war. And today we're gonna be, again, week one of, uh, of actually four weeks looking at the very first piece of armor. Um, we're gonna spend, I'm not gonna spend uh, that much time on every piece of armor, um, but on this one, it's so important. We're gonna spend four weeks of it. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your apps, I encourage you to open up, turn on, and there in your note sheet is a section called Spiritual Warfare, The Belt of Truth. So uh, let's jump in at Ephesians. We'll pick it up at verse 10 just to set the stage. And so Paul says, finally, you know, he's coming to the end of this letter, be strong in the Lord. Or remember in the Greek, be strengthened in the Lord. Tap into his power and in his mighty power, the power that raised Jesus from the dead and raised him above all the powers of darkness. And he says, so put on the full armor of God. Remember last week, we can't pick and choose. So you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Remember in Greek, methodeus, his schemes, his methods, his strategies. He said, for our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. It may look like it at times, but, but there's actually a power behind the power. And he says, it's against the rulers and against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, against these dark powers. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so when the day of evil comes, when the battle is raging, that you're able to stand your ground and having done everything to stand. And then he comes to the first piece of armor. He says, so stand firm then with the belt of truth 
buckled around your waist. Now, it's interesting. We're not sure uh, what Paul was picturing in his mind. Of course, he's, he's in prison when he writes this, uh, most likely in Rome. And uh, he is very likely chained to a Roman soldier, or if not, he's got Roman soldiers around him. Of course, Roman soldiers were common in the ancient world. Uh, Soldiers of other armies were common. And so this metaphor uh, of warfare is an easy one to picture if you're living in Rome. And so, but when he says that we are to put on the belt of truth, we're not sure what he's actually picturing. I mean, it's possible he's talking about some sort of a leather belt that you would buckle around your waist. Then you could put your dagger or your sword on. Uh, It's also possible, some scholars believe that what Paul is talking about is the Roman soldiers would often wear a leather apron that would be strapped along their waist and go down and cover their thighs to protect their thighs. So maybe that's what he's referring to. But what's really interesting in this passage is that in the Greek, there is no mention of the word belt. That's actually an addition. What it actually says in the Greek is he said, if you're gonna take your stand, he says the first thing you need to do is you need to gird up your loins with truth. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the kind of language I use in everyday life. Like if I said to a buddy, hey, you ready to gird up your loins? And I'm not sure what what I would get back. Uh, It'd be probably a very awkward moment. But this was a very common phrase in ancient times. Like in Jeremiah 1, when God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet, he says, gird up your loins. Kind of get ready for this assignment. In 1 Peter, the the apostle Peter, chapter 1, uses this, gird up your minds for action. So so this is a familiar phrase in the ancient world. You'd often wear a tunic or some kind of robe, and you're getting ready for action to run or to fight in battle. You kind of of hitch it up a little bit, kind of cinch it down um, so that you're ready for action. And so what he's saying is he says, hey, if you're going to stand in this battle, the first thing you need to do is you need to cinch it up. You need to get ready for battle by girding up your loins with truth. Now, Once again, it seems like Paul is reaching back into the prophet Isaiah for this imagery. If you were here last week, we talked about how Paul is knee deep in the Old Testament. We talked about this, how how Paul uh, picked up this phrase, the breastplate of righteousness or the uh, helmet of salvation from Isaiah, the 50s, from Isaiah. Right? Well, once again, he seems to be reaching back into Isaiah for this because there's a famous passage, at least famous for Jews, uh, in Isaiah chapter 11. I put it there in your note sheet where it's talking about the Messiah when he comes. And it says, that I'm using the New American Standard Version because it's a very literal version. He says, righteousness will be the belt about his loins. See, they're, they're real comfortable talking about loins. Uh, me, not so much. But righteousness will be uh, the belt around his loins and faithfulness, and in the Hebrew, the word for faithfulness is the same word that could be translated truth. He said, and faithfulness or truth will be the belt around his waist. So as he describes the Messiah, um, they're using this very picturesque language, and Paul seems to be reaching back and saying, hey, if you're going to win this battle, you need to tap into the Messiah and his resurrection power and put on the full armor. And the first thing is you need to gird up your loins, get ready to go and gird up your loins with truth. And so what we're gonna see in the next uh, four weeks, this week and then three more, we're gonna see 
uh, how important truth is in spiritual warfare and why truth is so critical. And so today I'm gonna lay the groundwork for that. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section called Spiritual Warfare, Satan, Truth, and the Bible, right? So I wanna talk today about, about how spiritual warfare works and the relationship between Satan, the way he attacks, and the role truth plays in this spiritual battle. So we've got three principles to lay the groundwork. So let's jump in. So number one, so the first thing we're gonna see today is, is like why is truth so important? The first point goes like this, that Satan's primary weapon is deception. And so, of course, Satan has a wide variety of ways he attacks us, but a primary weapon, kind of his go-to weapon, is deception. Now, we see this in the teaching of Jesus. In John chapter 8, Jesus gives some fascinating insight into the motives and the methods of Satan in spiritual warfare. And so there in your note sheet is a section from uh, John chapter 8. And, uh, and, and so let me set it up. So this conversation happens in Jerusalem. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. So it's like the pastors, the spiritual leaders of the nation. And Jesus knows that they are out to kill him, that behind the scenes they're plotting to take him out. They don't think that he knows that, but he knows that they are doing that. And so he, he says to them, he said, you belong to your father, the devil. Now I want you to picture this. Uh, picture, uh, picture that I'm speaking, and I'm speaking to a room full of pastors, and my opening line is, hey, just want you to know, you all belong to your father, the devil. Right, th- this is like, uh, this is confrontive language, to say the least. And he says, uh, let me tell you what, what, why I mean that. He said, you want to carry out your father's desires. And he says, he was a, catch this, you might want to underline it, He was a murderer from the beginning. We'll come back to that. And he's not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. So when he lies, he speaks his native language, his mother tongue, right? So so some of us, some of you maybe speak more than one language, but it's your mother language, your mother tongue. It's always gonna be the most comfortable And he says, when he speaks, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, Jesus gives us a couple very important insights about Satan and spiritual warfare in this passage. What he lays out for us is, number one, Satan's motive, and number two, his method. And so his his motive, um, that Jesus says that from the beginning, that, uh, that he is a murderer, right? That he is a destroyer. And so he says, what, it makes sense that, that you all here, you religious leaders, it's, it makes sense that you're trying to kill me because that's just evidence that you share the DNA of your father, Satan, because he wants a murderer from the beginning. This is who he is. He's a destroyer. He wants to take us out. But the second thing that Jesus says, he gives us insight into Satan's Uh, method. And what he says is that he's a liar, that the way he takes this out is he's a liar when he speaks, he, he speaks his native language, right? So his motive is to kill, his method is to lie. That's why I say his primary method is deception. 
But Jesus says something very interesting. He says that he was a murderer from the beginning. And the question is, what is he referring to? What's he talking about? And this takes us back to the story that we started the day with. We started the day with the story of this this couple that's now old that was once young, that they got married when they were young. They're so thankful as they sit here looking at this beautiful sunset on this day. They're so thankful for the life that they've shared, the ups and downs, the kids they've had, the grandkids, and yet at times like this, it's very hard for them not to reflect back on that fateful day when they made that choice that would impact their life forever. Well, this is sort of my hypothetical reconstruction of an event that that probably happened many times in the life of the first man, the first woman, Adam and Eve. This recorded in Genesis chapter three. And so Adam in Hebrew, you may not know this, but Adam, Adam just means man. So it's the first man and the first woman. And, And so we're told this seems to be the event that Jesus is referring to when he, this, this fateful choice that they made, this seems to be the event that Jesus is referring to in this passage. And so if you remember that event, if you think back to the account of what we call the fall of our race, the fall of man in Genesis chapter three, we, we meet there this couple, this man and this woman who have been created to be like God, right, in his image, to represent him, to be his image bearers, like uh, to to represent him on planet Earth. And uh, they're created to be like God, they're created to be in relationship with God, and they're created to rule over the creation for God. And so, as as the story opens, you know, we're, we're told that God has created this special garden for them to live with everything they need. Um, and there's only one rule in this garden, and that's that they're not, there's one particular tree they're not supposed to eat from, but God is very clear that if you do, you will die. But as you recall, in Genesis chapter three, that, that the serpent, who later is identified in scripture as Satan, that when the, when the serpent comes, his basic pitch is that you can't trust the creator. And by the way, This is always his pitch in every temptation in our lives as well. That you can't trust the creator. I I know it looks like he loves you. And I know it looks like he's very generous and he's incredibly good, but it's not really the truth. That actually he's trying to hold you down. He's trying to hold you back. And if you want to really reach your full uh, potential, um, you're going, if you want to be fulfilled, you're gonna to have to reach out and rebel and defy him because the reality is, is that when you eat of the fruit, you won't die. That's just a ruse. That what will happen is that you'll become like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. You won't need God to tell you, you'll be your own God. And so if you remember the story, remember the account, as they make that fateful choice, And sure enough, they died, and they died at every level. And this only makes sense because when you rebel against the source of all your life, the end result is going to be death. You cut yourself off from life, it's gonna be death. And they die at every level. It's not just that the process of physical dying kicks in, but it's spiritual death. And it's emotional death, it's psychological death, it's relational death, social death. We're gonna see 
in the next uh, chapters, from chapter four of Genesis through 11, we're gonna watch society come apart. So many things we're seeing in our culture right now, you see the results of this sort of rebellion. And it even leads to cosmic death because as king and queen over creation, when they fell, the creation fell with them. And so we, we know that story, but the question is, and I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, but have you ever asked yourself the question, what was Satan's motive? Like, like why did he do this? And it seems clear as you, you go back in retrospect, you read the account, that his desire was to kill them. This is what Jesus meant when he said he was a murderer from the beginning. That his desire was to take them out. And apparently he didn't have the authority to do that directly, but he knew that if he could deceive them and get them to cut themselves off from their creator, the end result would be death. And so Jesus gives us some, some great insight into Satan, his motive and his methods that his motive is to destroy us, to rob us of life. And this is what happens. Whenever we rebel against the creator and his teaching, his instruction, his commands, that the result is always death. You see, the reality is, is that God's laws, his commands, his teaching, they're always protective. They're never restrictive. And at the heart of every temptation is a promise, if you do this, life will be better and it's always a lie. It might be pleasurable for the moment, but in the long run, it brings death. And so Jesus gives us some tremendous insight into who Satan is, why he does what he does, and how he does. His goal is to destroy us. His method is deception. His primary weapon is deception. And, that's, and once we understand that, we understand a little bit more why Paul starts with the belt of truth, why this is the first thing that we need to put on if we're going to take our stand. Now, that leads to number two. And so number two is that if Satan's primary weapon is deception, then our primary weapon is the truth. And of course, this is why Paul starts with this. Now, uh, this is something Jesus also taught on. We just saw Jesus told us about Satan, his method and his motive in John 8. But earlier in that chapter, Jesus told us the role that truth plays in the spiritual battle and in our transformation. In fact, uh, just a few verses earlier in John 8, 31, there's some of the most famous verses in all the Bible, but also the most famously misapplied and misinterpreted. And so let me set the scene. In this scene, Jesus is not talking to religious leaders. He's talking to some new converts, to some new people that at least at some level are starting to buy into Jesus and believe in Jesus. And so in that context, he says to them, if you hold to my teaching, there in your note sheet, John 8, 31, 32, he says, if you hold to my teaching. Now I need to break that down, right? Let's do a little Greek work here. Just to, this is important. Um, if you hold to, the word in Greek is the word meno. It'd be like M-E-N and a long O, meno. It means to remain or to abide or to stay with. It's the same, this is the same uh, word that Jesus will use in John 15 where he gives his illustration of the vine and the branch. He said, if you abide in me and I abide in you, you'll bear much fruit. But if you're cut off from me, then you won't bear any fruit. You'll, you'll wither and die. Same word. 
And so the idea, what Jesus says, if you, hold, if you meno in my word, if you remain in my word, if you abide in my word, NIV here, New International Translate, if you hold on to my word. Here's the idea. The idea is not just if you listen to my word and like it. It's more than listening and liking. It's listening and following, right? It's listening, liking, and following. And he says, if you hold on to my teaching, and the word in Greek for teaching is the word word. So what he literally says, if you, if you remain in, you stick with, you hold on to my word. In other words, I've been teaching you all here. I've been teaching you the path of life. I've been teaching you who God is and who you are and what it looks like to walk with God. And if you stick with that and you listen to that and you obey that, he says, next, he said, then you are really my disciples. So he said, you are a true follower. You know, there are many people in our nation today who would see themselves as a follower of Jesus, but I think chances are that Jesus will say, I never knew you. You know, in 1 John chapter two, same, same author of, the, of, of John, Jesus, uh, the author John says this, this is how we know whether we've come to know him if we keep his commands, right? So what Jesus is saying is that if, like he'll say in John 14, if you love me, you'll obey me, right? So, so Jesus says, hey, here's how to know if you're really serious about following me. Here's how to know if you're a true believer, a true follower, if you hold on to my word. But then he says something very profound. He says, but if you hold on to my word, you're a true disciple. He says, you will know the what? The truth. And the truth will what? Set you free. Now catch this. What Jesus says is not if you listen to my word and like my word, you'll know the truth and the truth has set you free. He says, no, if you hold on to my word, you listen, you embrace it, you follow it. He says, then you will know the truth. Your eyes are gonna be open to the deception of the enemy and you are gonna be set free. Freedom only comes to those who embrace the truth that Jesus is revealing in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his teaching about the path to life. So here's what I want you to catch. You know, why is Paul saying, hey, strap on the belt of truth? Because the primary weapon of the enemy is deception. And the primary weapon to defend ourselves is the truth. And this leads to number three. Number three is that because of number one and two, because the enemy's primary way to attack us is deception, and our primary way to defend ourselves or to win this war is truth, that leads to number three. What this means is that there, there is a battle for our minds. In your life, in my, there's, there's a battle for our minds to control the way we think. Now, there's a very, uh, there's an excellent passage, on, very important passage on spiritual warfare that we're gonna look at more than once in this series, but I wanna introduce it to you now. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It's there in your note sheet, but let me set it up. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the followers of Jesus in Corinth. They've come to Jesus, they've, they've been converted, they've received the gift of his spirit, but there are some new teachers from out of town that have moved into the area. 
And they have come in claiming to be apostles of Jesus, to be speaking for Jesus. But Paul says the reality is these are messengers, catch this language, he'll say this in chapter 11, messengers of Satan. And he says they're, they're bringing, they're, they're talking about Jesus, but it's a different Jesus, it's a different gospel, it's a different spirit. He says uh, even Satan himself disguises himself as an angel of light. So this is the scene. Paul is writing, they're falling prey to this new teaching that's coming in from these new teachers. And so Paul is going to use an image of spiritual warfare to explain what his role is as an apostle. And he's gonna compare it to taking an ancient city in battle. So in ancient warfare, when you would attack a city, like when a Roman army would attack a city, it usually be a walled city, but before you could attack the city and break into the wall and, or break through the gate and capture the citizens and then take them away as slaves or whatever, before you did that, you had to take out what was called the enemy strongholds or fortresses. Sometimes it'd be another citadel away from the city. Sometimes it'd be like towers, like in the ancient city of Jerusalem, like towers on the wall. But this is where the enemy would attack from. Until you would conquer and demolish those strongholds, you could not take the city. And so the Roman army would often bring these huge uh, siege engines, like uh, uh, huge catapults, you know, uh, and different kinds of platforms to attack these strongholds. Once you demolish the stronghold, then you could break through the walls, the gates, and capture the citizens. So Paul is going to use that analogy. And he says, an apostle of Jesus, that his job is to attack the enemy territory, the enemy strongholds, which he identifies as these false teaching of these apostles, or these false apostles, and to capture, to tear down those arguments, those strongholds, so that he can capture all the thoughts of the enemy and take them captive. So let's see what he says. He says, the weapons that we fight with, and he's talking primarily in context about himself and his team as an apostolic team, but the principle applies to us as we'll see in a minute in our life. He says the weapons that we fight with, they're not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power, supernatural power, to demolish strongholds, all right? So what are these strongholds? Well, look how he defines it. He says we demolish arguments. Right, so the stronghold that he's attacking are these arguments, the false teaching, the deception of these teachers. And we, we demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, every lie that's coming against the knowledge of God. And then we take captive, after we demolish these strongholds, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so Paul says that, in spiritual warfare, he says that we have to capture the enemies, uh, the arguments of the enemy. We have to demolish his lies and then take every thought that flows from those lies, those arguments, take it captive to Christ to make it, make it uh, bow the knee to the truth of Christ. So what Paul is saying for him as an apostle, it applies to us as well that if you and I are going to be transformed to become like Jesus, which is God's ultimate goal in our life, then we have to learn to do 
spiritual warfare at the level of our minds. We have to win the battle of our thoughts. We have to win the battle of uh, big picture ideas, uh, personal thoughts. We'll, We'll talk more about that in a minute if we want to win. In fact, uh, what we see is that God's vision for our life is this vision of transformation. Uh, His number one goal is that you and I will be transformed to be like our creator again, like our big brother Jesus. But catch this, because that is God's ultimate goal, then Satan's ultimate goal is to stop that transformation But in order to be transformed, then we have to have our minds renewed. In fact, there in your note sheet is another very important, very uh, important, powerful scripture about this battle for our minds that we have to win if we're going to be transformed. And so Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, he says, as followers of Jesus, do not conform to this world. Now, I don't know if you were here back on week three of this series, But in week three of this series, I talked about our three big enemies that we have to to beat if we're going to win this war. We talked about the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? The world is this big picture ideas, ideologies about how life should work, uh, the values, the the lifestyles, just kind of the way that Satan controls this fallen world is through ideas. And so he says, do not conform to this world. He said, but be what? Yeah, the word is transformed. This is God's vision for your life and my life, to be transformed. But he says, notice how the transformation happens by the renewing of your mind. And he said, when that happens, he said, then as your mind is renewed, then you will be able to test and approve, I like the word experience, what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So here's here's what Paul is saying, that God has a will for your life. He has a will for my life. But in order to experience that will, we have to be transformed. And in order to be transformed, to be like our creator, like King Jesus, that our minds have to be renewed. And that's why our minds are the place of spiritual warfare, the the battleground. There's this battle of our mind between Satan whose primary weapon is deception and us and our primary weapon is truth. Now, you say, well, what kind of truth? Well, I'm glad you asked. As I wanna talk to you about what I'm calling for this series, for today and the next three weeks, what I'm calling the three signs of truth. So there in your note sheet, is a section called Spiritual Warfare, The Three Signs of Truth, and you, you're, you're gonna see a diagram that's gonna come up. Now, um, now, this diagram is not perfect, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, and the reason it's not is because um, there's overlap between these three sides of truth. But I think it's gonna be a very helpful diagram for us in the next three weeks as we talk about what does it look like to be transformed by a renewing of our mind um, in this area, in the, in the realm of truth, all right? So let me walk you through the diagram. You can jot a couple notes there on your note sheet. 
Um, just, I'm going to explain briefly, and then in the coming weeks, we're going to spend one week on each of these three sides, right? So let's, let's start with the center of the diagram. So at the center of the diagram, you have the word spiritual truth. So as we talk about these three sides of truth, I mean, they're, they're, it's, it's, this is all about truth. We're just looking at truth from three different angles, right? So it's the spiritual truth that will set us free. It's the truth that will transform our minds. I just want to look at truth through three different angles, or three different lenses, three different filters, right? So the first, let's, let's start on the left side. So the first sign of truth is what I'm calling personal truth. Like if we're going to win the spiritual battle, there's certain truths that we need to understand and embrace and have to sing deal. Like we, we need to know who God is and, and how our relationship with God works and who we are in Christ. We, we have to learn things like how to be honest with ourselves, our deepest thoughts, feelings, motives, what we've done, why we've done it. Um, we, we need to learn how to live a life of integrity with others, right? We, we need to, um, we, so uh, the, the first side is personal truth, my personal relationship with God, who I am in Christ, how to live internally uh, an honest life, how to, how to uh, face the truth about myself and bring that truth in the light of God so I can be healed, um, how, to, how to relate to others without hypocrisy, with transparency. These are all parts of what I'm calling personal truth, just your relationship with God. Now what we'll see is the reason this diagram is not perfect is because there's gonna be overlap between these three sides. It's impossible to talk about one side without talking about the others, but I think it's still gonna be very helpful. So let's go to the second side of truth. The second side of truth, I'm calling it the philosophical side. And if it's like that's too big a word for you, you don't even like that word, write the word worldview down here. And week three, when we talked about our three big enemies, the world, the flesh, the devil, we talked about the world and, and the ideologies of the world and how Satan controls the world by controlling the way the world thinks in terms of big picture issues, issues of creation, issues of sexuality, issues of traditions, um, kind of the way families should work. It could be a, a million things, the way lifestyles should work, where he controls the way a culture thinks and thereby controls the culture. So we're talking about big picture ideas at the level of worldview. And then down at the bottom, the third side, is what I'm calling doctrinal truth. Now, in a sense, all spiritual truth is doctrinal truth. But what I'm focusing on here, what we're going to see on this week, is that one of the primary ways Satan attacks us and attacks the church of Jesus and our lives is by introducing false doctrine about who God is, who we are, the path to life. That's what was happening, for example, in the church of Corinth, these new teachers coming in. So like I said, there's gonna be overlap that uh, it's impossible to talk about personal truth without doctrinal truth. Uh, it's very difficult to talk about personal truth without th talking about worldview truth. So there's gonna be overlap, but there's gonna be, I think it's also gonna be very helpful as we break it down and we look at truth. Now here's what I want you to catch from three different angles. Here's what I want you to catch. Here's why this is so important. I believe that for many followers of Jesus, when we think of spiritual warfare, and the importance of truth, we think almost exclusively in terms of personal truth. How does God feel about me? Does God love me or not? 
Can he forgive my sins? Am I truly forgiven? Can God use me in spite of all that I've done? Who am I in Christ? I'm being tempted in this area. There's a lack of integrity. When we think of spiritual warfare and truth, our mind goes to personal truth. And of course, that is incredibly important. But here's what I want you to catch. If you want to be transformed, you want to become like your creator, you want to become like your big brother, you want to be set free, you cannot simply be set free in the area of personal truth. Because one of the greatest ways Satan controls our life is through big picture ideas of worldview truth or through false teaching that infiltrates the, truth, the, the church and he destroys churches and families and believers through false teaching about who God is, who we are in the path of life. And so if we wanna be transformed, we wanna win the war, we wanna take our stand, we can't just have personal truth. We've gotta have personal truth worldview, philosophical truth, and doctrinal truth. And that's why it's so important that we're gonna be spending one week on each of these three sides of truth in the next three weeks. So I hope you can be with us every week. And if you miss for whatever reason, probably a bad reason, but if you miss for whatever reason, be sure to go to our YouTube channel and catch the message during the week so that you don't miss out on this because it's so critical if we're going to win the war that we begin to understand the role that truth plays and not just one side of truth, but all three. All right. Now, before we close, I want to ask you a very important question. So there in your note sheet is a section called Spiritual Warfare, the Truth in You. And so let me ask the question, and then I'll come back and explain it, and then we're going to illustrate it, and I'm going to get you involved doing some evaluation. All right, so here we go. So here's the question. The question is, which side is your weakest? So we just talked about the three sides of truth personal truth, philosophical truth, doctrinal truth. So here's the, if it's true that in order to be transformed, that our mind has to be renewed, and not just at a personal level, but at a worldview level and at a doctrinal level, if that's true, what that means is that when the enemy attacks us, that he's gonna look for the area of weakness. So like if he was looking to attack your life, where would you be most vulnerable? Would it be at the level of personal truth? Is that where he attacks you? Is it the level of worldview truth? Or is it the level of doctrinal truth? Now you might say, I don't know. And my hunch is that's actually a very good answer. Uh, because this is not always easy. We're not used to thinking in terms like this. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you some examples of the way that enemy attacks us in everyday life. I'm gonna give you examples of each of these three sides of truth, but I'm not going to make it easy on you. I'm going to mix them up in sort of a random way. And so as I give you these examples, of here's how, say, like if Satan can, can convince you of this, he wins is I give you a long list of random examples. I want you to do two things. I want you, first of all, to keep the triangle in front of you. And as I give you the example, I want you to try to classify it best you can. Is that a personal truth? Is that a philosophical truth? 
Is it a doctrinal truth? Now, just to be clear, and to, I know for some of you, you're getting worried right now. This is like school, you're getting nervous, I'm gonna fail, I know I'm gonna fail. Um, that uh, just to make it easy, I, I wanna say this, is that remember there's overlap, there's overlap between doctrinal truth and personal truth and philosophical truth, and so you could make a good argument in some cases, no, I think it's this, I think it's that. That's fine, I don't, this is not like a test. I just wanna get your mind going to try to, to, to try to grasp this concept of the different sides of truth, the different, the different kinds of uh, spiritual truth where the enemy will attack. So the first thing I want you to do is I throw out these scenarios. Uh, if Satan can do this, then he wins. I want you, first of all, to say, hey, which kind of truth is that? But secondly, I want you to be paying very close attention to where you feel vulnerable. In other words, when I throw out certain scenarios, you're probably, for some of you, you're gonna feel a pit in your stomach. Your heart's gonna start being like, oh, like I've heard that one before. And what's gonna happen is you're gonna realize, oh, that's one I've heard from the enemy, right? And so all I'm trying to do is get our minds thinking about this and, and to, to expand our view of spiritual warfare. Because here's the thing. Let, let me give you an example. Picture a guy. He's grown up, he's a Christian for his whole life. You know, he's one of those kind of, been in the church forever. He's been here at Rocky Peak since he was 14 years old. You know, he's now 52, and so he sees himself as a strong believer. And so part of that, he'd say, yeah, I've, I've got the belt of truth because I know the Bible is the word of God, and I believe the Bible is the word of God, and I don't care what culture says, or I don't care what's politically correct. I'm holding on to the word of God. And so he sees himself as a very strong believer. But here's the thing, he's never learned to be honest with himself about what he's thinking, he's feeling, his motives. He's completely out of touch with his inside world. He's never allowed Jesus to really transform his worldview in terms of major issues. Whether those issues are uh, how you see the world or uh, politics or the way you look at economics, or the way you think about the American dream, or whatever it is. He's never been transformed there, and doctrinally he's pretty solid. He's got that pretty solid, right? But he's got some real weaknesses in his game in terms of his personal truth and his worldview truth. So here's what happens, is yes, he's a follower of Jesus, and yes, he's committed to Jesus, but his life is not being transformed. His marriage is not what it's supposed to be. His kids don't want to get along with him. Everyone knows, be, touchy, be careful around Joe. He's pretty touchy. And he, when he gets on, on Facebook, he's flaming out on everyone, on this and on that, because he's never been transformed by the truth of Jesus. What he has done is he has protected one side of the truth, in certain areas, but he has never realized there's a spiritual battle raging for his mind. And he is not living a transparent life. He is not being transformed because he's not even in touch with his insights. And the reality is, until we learn to be radically honest about who we are and what we're thinking and what we're feeling, we can't be transformed because not even Jesus has brought in this situation. We're living in a land of denial. And so while he's up there defending the word of God, he's being kind of rude and harsh and kind of very uh, domineering with his wife, his kids. People at work stay away from him. He's a, he's a harsh man. And 
the worldview of Jesus, for example, loving your enemies, is not transformed his mind in the way he looks at the way he interacts with the world. And so this is why it is so important that if we're gonna be transformed to become like Jesus, that we are transformed at every level, at the level of personal truth, at the level of worldview or philosophical truth, and the level of doctrinal truth. All right, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw out some scenarios. I've got your triangle there. I want you to try to classify them best you can. Don't freak out. Some of you I know are gonna take this so seriously and you're gonna be like, oh, I don't know. Is that doctrinal? Is it philosophical? I'm blah. Just, you're okay, right? Just do your best shot. I'm just trying to get your mind going. And then also be paying attention, hey, which of these lies feel like you're most vulnerable to? So let me just run through them. So here's, here we go. Uh, If Satan can convince you that God doesn't love you or the sins of your past, what you've done or what's been done to you, that that he can never really, God can never really use you. Yes, you can be a Christian, you can sit in the back row, but you can't really be used of his kingdom. If he can convince you, then he wins. Number two, if Satan can convince you to live in denial, that like the man in the story I just gave, that you've not learned to be honest about what you're thinking, you're feeling, why you do what you do, what you've done in the past, then he wins. If he can convince you that God would never require you to forgive that person. Hey, I know forgiveness in general is an important principle, but but that person, what they did to me, it was so horrendous. I, I, I know God would never require that of me. He wins. If he can convince you that this entire world, the universe that we live in, is just the result of billions of years of random accidents and natural selection, he wins. He can control not only the way you see nature, but the way you see morality and purpose and meaning in life. If he can convince you in a particular situation to give in to this particular temptation that life will be better if you do, he wins. If he can convince you that sexual purity is not important, the times have changed, and what the Bible says no longer applies today, he wins. If he can convince you that yes, there's life after death, there's heaven, but there's really no hell because a God of love would never send someone to an eternity of hell. He wins. If he can convince you that as a follower of Jesus, there's good enough for you and Jesus to speak up, but you don't need to be part of a community of believers. They're all a bunch of hypocrites. He wins. If he can convince you that the Bible is not completely trustworthy, and therefore we need to pick and choose what we apply, what we listen to, and what we don't, he wins. If he can convince you that human beings are basically good, then all the problems of life are just the result of our our poor environments, he wins. If he can convince you that all spiritual paths lead to the same place. The different names for God 
different world religions, a different, they're just different paths, but it's all leading to the same place. He wins. If he can convince you that some races are more valuable than others, he wins. If he can convince you that in your own personal life to compromise the truth or compromise your integrity or to live a life of hypocrisy, he wins. If he can convince you that the highest goal in life is to achieve the American dream, he can ruin your life spiritually. Now, these are just a handful or two or three of examples. We could go on forever and ever. But what I want you to catch is that if you and I are gonna be transformed to be like Jesus, to be transformed to be like our creator, that we need to strap on about the truth. And it's not just part of the truth. It's not just personal truth. It's not just philosophical truth. It's not just doctrinal. It's all three. And that any time that we neglect any of the three, we are truncating his vision for our lives. And we will never be fully transformed because our mind is never renewed. So I hope you can be with us in the next three weeks as we dive in. We look at the, the enemy's weapon of deception, our weapon of truth, this battle for our mind, and we do a deep dive in each of these three sides of truth that are so critical for our transformation and winning the war. Let's pray together. Father, we're just so thankful for your work in our life and the beauty of your word that just highlights for us this amazing truths that we've been looking at today. Jesus, what you taught about Satan's method, his motive, about how transformation takes place, the path of freedom. God, we just pray that you would continue to teach us as we go through this series what the spiritual battle looks like. We pray that you'd open our eyes to see the reality, the unseen realm, to recognize these lines of lies in our life, whether it's personal lies, philosophical lies, or doctrinal lives, and that through this series, that our eyes would be open to the truth in new ways and that we would hold on to the truth, we would remain in the truth, we would stick with the truth, and the truth would set us free. So Father, we, as we go into a time of worship now, and we sing this beautiful song with this prayer, show me what's true. God, we pray that that would be the prayer of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.